Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance we have to spend time in your word. I pray that you would be with your people, that you would speak to all of us, that you would anoint my words, and that what is not of you would be forgotten, but that what is of you would bear much fruit. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. It's, again, it's good to be here again, again with you and to, to be preaching. And uh, this is a wonderful text. And uh, I love spending time, especially in the early part of Acts, when so much is going on. And uh, I've been thinking about this passage. And uh, one of the things that's come to mind is our little daughter Eliza is uh, at the age where she loves peekaboo. And uh, what she loves most is us disappearing and then reappearing. Um, but if there's any doubt about our reappearance, there's no laughter. And so if we pop back up right away, she's as happy as can be. Uh, even better, by the way, is when I'm loading the, the laundry and I seem to disappear and reappear and throw stuff in and magically disappears. And that's the best thing in the world. But she's also at the age where any time we walk away, it is the worst thing imaginable. And the tears stop, start and uh, absolute sadness. Um, in her brain, I, want, I imagine she must be wondering, will they be back? Uh, and I think about us and how sometimes uh, we might have that same question about Jesus. And even if we know in our minds, we might live as if he's gone and he's never coming back. Uh, the text before us is one of the last great works of Jesus. Uh, he came, he lived a perfect life, and he earned our salvation, he earned the righteousness of God. He died, and he paid for our sin, uh, he dealt with the wrath of God, and then he was raised in power by the Holy Spirit because of what the Father saw in Jesus, that Jesus was righteous. Death had no hold on him. And then he ascends into heaven. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is what's going on. Why ascend into heaven? Uh and, what, you know, and how does it relate to the disciples? How does it relate to us? Now, my tongue-in-cheek uh, title for this sermon uh, is The Disciples Missed the Point for the Last Time. Uh, if you read the Gospels, every once in a while you should just laugh out loud. Um, the disciples are great, but uh, they miss it a lot. Um, there are several examples of them. Uh, missing the point of what happened when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. Um, once after the feeding of the 5,000, they freak out that Jesus is walking on water, and they're terrified, and the comment is they didn't understand about the loaves. Uh, another time, 
After the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus feeds 4,000. And the disciples forgot to bring bread on the boat. This is Mark 8. Except for one loaf they had with them. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed them this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Uh, there, Jesus is saying, watch out for the Pharisees and their teaching. It'll corrupt you. And they're sitting around going, we don't have any food. What are we going to do? Uh, and that happens one other time. Another time, they're with Jesus. And they've gone out into the towns. And in Luke 9, 52, we read this. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Uh, there they were ministering with Jesus, totally missing the point of what he was doing. And then if that wasn't uh, enough, at the Last Supper, in Luke 22, a moment after Jesus has said, someone's going to betray me, and they wonder who's going to do that. Just before Jesus goes into uh, uh, the Mount of Olives and sweats blood and pours out his heart before the Father, and then is betrayed and... Uh, and then crucified. What are the disciples doing? A few hours before that. And they began to question one another who was going to betray Jesus. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Uh, and then you have the time where James and John asked Jesus, can one of us sit at your right hand and one at your left? I think they had their mom do that one. Uh, and the disciples over and over again follow Jesus, and they do believe. Uh, and I don't want to be too hard on them, and I don't think you and I would be any different. But over and over again, they miss the point of what's going on. And I'm fairly convinced that that's sort of what's going on here, that the disciples are coming to Jesus. This is 40 days. Perhaps they had meditated on the fact that 40 days have gone by. Maybe, maybe that was going on in their minds. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they were thinking something special is going to happen. It's been 40 days. Uh, then again, they might just be uh, thinking about other things. But I think what's going on in this passage is the disciples come to Jesus and they say, all right, Jesus, we totally didn't get it before. Uh, that whole crucifixion thing threw us off. Uh, this resurrection thing, we didn't quite get that. But now we totally get it. You had to die and rise again. So this is the time when we get to be like rulers over Israel, right? When you're going to reestablish the kingdom of David, we're going to kick out the Romans, and it's going to be Judah for Judah again, and things will be great. This is the time, right? And instead, Jesus says, it's not for you to know. And he starts levitating and floating into the sky. 
And I want to take a moment to just take in how weird that would be. That the disciples think, this is it, the kingdom is coming, grab your swords, let's go kick out the Romans. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time or the seasons, for you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit. And they're probably thinking, yeah, power, yeah, okay, okay. And you're levitating and off you go. And he's gone. And they stand there. And they stand there long enough that a couple of angels show up and tell them, uh, guys, you can go home now. Uh, he's not coming back for a while. Um, and I just imagine them gaping into the sky going, what just happened? And what do we do now? And they knew enough. Okay, Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. I guess we won't. They went to the, the room. There were about 120 of them. And they waited. But I imagine that moment had to be an absolute paradigm shift shattering all expectations they had about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what the kingdom of God meant, uh, any thought of an immediate earthly kingdom was gone. Uh, Jesus, you left. What next? Um, and I do think that we have a lot of in common with these guys, that... Uh, we also sometimes really miss the point of the Christian life. What do we live for? The disciples, at least sometimes, were living for what they would get out of this. Uh, not always. There are times they really get it, but there are times when they argue about who's going to be the best disciple when Jesus rules over the kingdom the way they think he's going to. Um, what about us? The American dream is a, a potent reality. It's a potent temptation for all of us. And it's very easy to start mixing the American dream and the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? There are those who openly say that the gospel, that Jesus came so that you could be happy and healthy and rich. And you can go on the internet and you can find uh, teachers who do this. You can find churches that preach this. Uh, and that kind of teaching openly makes things about me. And to be fair, they will proclaim Jesus. Uh, I'm not saying that anyone who does that isn't a Christian. Um, but there is something off about that. And while it's maybe going so far, uh, going too far to say God never wants you to be happy, your happiness, your health, your prosperity is not the same as the kingdom of God, and it's not God's uh, chief end for your life. Instead, we're told to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We're told to bear 
to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now, for more of us, we're not going to be openly tempted to think that the, the gospel is about me being happy, but how subtly we do it. How subtly we can start to intermingle just a little bit of the American dream. Just a little bit of, well, you know, I've been following God a while. He owes me something. Or I've been praying for this for ages. God, isn't it about time you answered? Or in our weaker moments, if you loved me, you would give me this. Uh, but our life, our health, our prosperity is not the main point of the kingdom. The disciples would find this out very clearly as they expected that things would be wonderful for them. And then you keep reading the book of Acts. James dies very soon. Peter uh, is thrown into prison. Uh, and there's a lot of oppression, a lot of, of struggle. But what about us? Pastor Todd talks about uh, you know, his generation, the baby boomers, and, and uh, the baby boomer generation seeking pleasure and seeking to be free from pain. Um, I'm not a member of the baby boomer generation. I've sort of got one foot in Generation X, except I didn't have MTV growing up, and one foot in Generation Y, but I didn't get a cell phone until I was in college. Uh, but as I've been reflecting on this, I think each generation is trying to outdo each other in terms of self-absorption. And again, we can be no different. Where we start being absorbed in our own selves, obsessed with our desires, our happiness, our comfort. Maybe you haven't had the thought, God, you owe me a mansion. But maybe you've had a smaller vision of just a nice house. Uh, just something quiet where there's never anything wrong and nobody ever fights and the um, counters keep themselves clean. Uh, very often, I think we are tempted, and I'm no different, and we're tempted to see the kingdom of God in terms of, of what we get out of it, of what God does for us. And none of these are terribly bad in them, their, themselves, but they rapidly become idols. And one of the things that the ascension does for the disciples and for us is it reminds us that this is not about us and it's not on our terms. The disciples certainly wouldn't have planned things out that way. Uh, and yet, they watch Jesus ascend into heaven and they have to come to terms with that. And so do we. So do we. Well, when Jesus ascends, what just happened? Jesus physically left the planet. Now, before, the disciples had seen him come and go. They would be, you know, having dinner and, oh, Jesus, you're back. Um, and he'd say, you know, give me some fish. By the way, if you've wondered about why Jesus asked for fish 
uh, or other food, one of the reasons is probably he's showing him them that he's not a spirit, he's not a ghost. He's a flesh and blood human returned to life. And he spends enough time with them that they come to understand very well, Jesus is back. He's alive. Uh, they understand that well enough that they're able to at least articulate the question, is this the time when, when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? But then he leaves. And I imagine the disciples had to be wondering, what is going on? And you might have wondered this too. Why did Jesus leave us? Well, one reason why Jesus left, his work on earth was finished. He had nothing left to do on earth. That's something to, to think about. He had already paid for sin. He had already earned righteousness for us. Fulfilled the law perfectly so that there was nothing left to be done in terms of our salvation. He had spent three years teaching the disciples, giving them uh, the teaching that would become the scriptures. And we believe that the scriptures give the complete testimony of what we need to know God. He had risen from the grave in power. Death had been conquered. Well, why not just bring on the kingdom now? Why not do what the disciples said? There was more to be done. For him and for us. His ascension means a few things. But before I get to that, we have the question, well, wouldn't it be better if we could just see Jesus and talk to him? Wouldn't it have been better if he stayed? And the answer from Jesus himself is a resounding no. It's better for you that I go. Uh, and that's a, a strange thing for us. But in John 16, 7, Jesus says this, Behold, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. King James Version says, it is excellent that I go away. And I think that's the way to put it. I think most of us can kind of understand, yeah, it's a good thing. Jesus goes away, we get the Holy Spirit, okay, okay. Suppose that's a good thing. Jesus says, it's for your good. It is excellent that I go away. Why? Because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so the first reason, reason he left was to send the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, now instead of having a relationship with Jesus where Jesus is over there and I'm over here, Jesus is with us, in us, around us. And when we see the Holy Spirit come, the disciples are not shy anymore. And the disciples never miss the point again, except a couple little things here and there. But they understand it's about Jesus. It is about his kingdom, not about us. 
Why else does he go? To rule all things. Ephesians 1 says this, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. What is Jesus doing now? He's ruling all things. He's taking care of us. He's making sure that the world that seems chaotic is working out toward our good and the good of the kingdom of God. The third reason he left to prepare a place for us. John 14, which is a wonderful passage. Right after Jesus looks Peter in the eye and says, you are going to betray me three times before the rooster crows. Right after that, we get these beautiful words of comfort for Peter and for us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for us now. What does that mean? I have no idea. Uh, other than, seems to be he's at work recreating the new heavens and the new earth that he's going to bring into being at the end. And the words of comfort, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you there. And so, because he's ruling all things, because he's uh, sending the Holy Spirit, because he's preparing a place for us, it's actually better for us that Jesus is gone physically and that he's with us in spirit. You might also wonder, well, wouldn't it be better if the world could just see Jesus? Forget about this faith thing. Why not just have Jesus show up, do some miracles? We've got television and the internet now we get a few viral videos of jesus doing some miracles and the world all believes luke 16 29 uh, this is in the story of the rich man and lazarus the, the rich man says can't you send somebody to my brothers send me and abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will, be they, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And they are certainly with the resurrection of the other Lazarus when Jesus raises him from the dead, not everyone believes. And when Jesus rose from the dead, not everyone believed. And the problem of disbelief is not 
primarily one of evidence. Uh, the Pharisees saw the power of God at work in Jesus, and they hated what he was doing, and they rejected him. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus lived his entire life for the glory of the Father and for the salvation of his people. Uh, he sent us the Holy Spirit so that Jesus is spiritually present with us in a way that exceeds the way he was with the disciples, in a way that exceeds anything that happened in the Old Testament. Sometimes we think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just go back and see Mo Moses part the Red Sea? And Moses would reply to you, I'd rather trade places. What you have is better. That's something that may not make sense, but it is what the Bible teaches, that the power of the Spirit that we have, that the intimacy with God that we have is far beyond anything that's come before And so when we live our lives, um, we need to be going about the work of Christ in his kingdom. Let it not be about us. Let it not be about our desires. But let it be about what Christ desires. And his word says, uh, he'll be with us and he will empower us. That's what we see when, when the disciples go out. And they end up doing amazing things. And Peter, who denied Jesus, will proclaim Jesus loudly and boldly. And a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and a zealot and a few others go out. And the church is established on their witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit is with us. Now, there's one more thing we need to, to talk about, and that is that Jesus will return in the same way that he left. Again, that's something I don't pretend to understand how that will look. Um, I remember in my high school Bible class, they, uh, my teacher saying, well, we have TV now, so it must be that everybody will watch Jesus come back on TV. Um, maybe. I don't know. Um, but Jesus is clear that he's coming back. The, the angels show up and say he's coming back the same way he came back before. Uh, he's going to come from the clouds, bodily, in his body. There are some who say that Jesus will return spiritually or that he has returned spiritually. And if you go to enough churches at random, you might hear that. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus says. That isn't what the scriptures say. Jesus' return will not be mystical. It will be physical. And when he returns, then the disciples' question will be answered, not in the way they expected, but in a far greater way. Are you at this time going to restore Israel? Kind of, 
But in the process, I'm going to remake the heavens and the earth, purify everybody, glorify everyone who believes in Jesus, and make everything new. Revelation 1.7, look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Most of us, most of the time, I think, live as if this wasn't going to happen. Whatever it is in your life that's difficult, this is the answer. Whatever loss you've experienced, whatever pain you've been through or have now, Jesus is coming back for you. Again, most of us, I think, live as if this, this is just a theory. Um, I know I do. I'd love to say that I, who am preaching now, live in the full confidence of Christ's return at all moments, and uh, I don't. You can ask my wife. Uh, there are days when I forget it, and there are days when I remember it. And I can say, uh, those of you who have been around for the last year or so know we, the Edmonds, have been through a lot, and one of my great comforts is that Christ is returning, that my daughter Eliza will be made whole in the new heavens and the new earth. And there's a lot of joy to be had now. But our ultimate hope is Christ coming back. And since this is true, what should be different? One is that we have an immense comfort. As we suffer in this life, we can know that Jesus ha has not abandoned us. And he has not left us alone. He's gone for a while, but that's not the same as turning his back and leaving. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. Again, from John 14, 25. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You have heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. We have the comfort of knowing that we have the Holy Spirit. We have the comfort of knowing that uh, Jesus is with us spiritually. We also have, as well as immense comfort, we have incredible purpose. We are part of the same story as the disciples. We are part of the same church as the one in the book of Acts. And so our lives are part of Christ's coming. And there are some really tremendous things said one of them by Peter. In 2 Peter 3, 10 and following, Peter is talking about the new heavens and the new earth, 
He's talking about everything being destroyed and then remade. Listen to these things. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what people, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will be, bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, he's going to remake all things. And because he's coming back, we should live as though he's coming back. We should not be uh, surprised. We should not be off guard. We should not be living for ourselves. And I don't say this to burden you and pile guilt on you. The gospel is free. Christ has died for you. But Christ is returning, and our lives have purpose. And then there's that wonderful comfort that as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, what does that mean? Does that mean that things we do make Jesus come back faster? Kind of sounds like it. And beyond that, I don't know quite enough to say how that works. But that's Peter speaking, not me. And there's something about our lives lived in Christ's service, that means we are participating in Christ's return. The gospel is going forth. Your life is lived as a witness. Things are being made ready. So we have immense comfort, we have incredible purpose, and we have tremendous hope. And I want to leave just with this, that life can be a very difficult thing, Life in this world can, can be disarming and uh, leave you disillusioned and strip you of any hope as we watch the wickedness of the world, as we watch the suffering in the world, as we watch those we love hurt. But one thing we know is that God is at work. And another thing we know is that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, everything will be remade. That whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever it is that will bother you, it will be redeemed. And any hurt will be wiped away. And we will all know Jesus. And we will look him in the eye. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will invite us book of Revelation, about the second to the last thing that is said is, Behold, I am coming soon. Let's remember that and reflect on our Lord, who has gone for a while, who has sent his spirit, and who is coming back for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus the first time. 
thank you that he's coming back. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are at work. Increase our faith. Fill us with your spirit. Make our hearts glad. Give us strength in our suffering now. Bring us through it. And give us comfort in the knowledge that you are coming back. May we never forget that. In Jesus' name, amen.